Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylor, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of 40K Fireside. We're here at episode seven after what feels like a little two, two and a half week hiatus. I'm obviously joined by my co-host, Vic. We're recording a bit late at night. I got the whiskey. Vic's got the orange juice, even though we both agreed to get a whiskey this time. But, you know, he's leaving me uh, dry. (laughs) But no, it's great to be back. We uh, had some awesome feedback from the previous episode. I'm going to try and incorporate that into uh, into this one. Uh, One of the big feedbacks was kind of the interlude music. So we're going to cut that a bit shorter. And uh, yeah, it's probably part of our kind of continuous uh, improvement that we're trying to make on the podcast uh and yeah so why don't i uh, jump into what we're going to be covering today uh, as you might have already seen the episode is going to be called post coventry depression so that that's going to be our main uh theme uh that we're going to cover but first of all we're going to talk about uh two of our past events so coventry and then uh vic's team tournament that he went to just last weekend uh, kind of the learnings from that and the differences between teams and singles tournaments. Uh, and then a main topic is going to be recovering from a bad or kind of poor event, jumping on back on the competitive bandwagon and kind of reigniting the fire a bit. And uh, come what things that demotivate us and things that re-motivate us. And then finally, we'll do a little bit of a meta recap uh, in the end because I think some interesting developments have happened. So uh, without further ado, let's kick it off. Vic, you were at, I forget what the uh, tournament was called, but uh, why don't you run me through kind of what the format was? Yeah, so um, I've been doing a little bit of stuff with Team England. Uh, I'm in the kind of selection process for Team England, and as part of that, we have to go to at least one team tournament with the, with the team. Mm-hmm. So there was an eight-man team event um, up in the northern part of the UK in Manchester, and mm-hmm. um it's my first time really doing a very large team event. We've done a small five-man one with our Dice Town team, but mm-hmm. uh, this one was much bigger and it was extremely well organized. I, I, I actually went in a little bit blind into the whole process and uh, learned a lot through the whole thing. Um, essentially, cool. there were uh, 10 teams present at this event, so 80 people there, and um, we had to play through five rounds and we ended up playing most of the other teams there with, with such a small... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of uh, number of teams in, in attendance. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I took my Empress children to that event, had five really good games, and I came out with uh, with a number of things which I, I didn't realize about team events. Um, mm-hmm. What was I, the, give me, give me three, what was the first one that really struck you? Yeah, well, I'm a singles player through and mm-hmm. through. I always have been. And I just assumed that team events are so skewed that actually mm. you can't really take anything away for singles events, but mm. I was proved very wrong at this event. I had a, I was one of the Team England teams. There was two of us, and in my team, I had a number of extremely good players. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I had I had Nas, I had Robbo, uh, I had Josh, uh, so all these incredible players, and they all came with great faction knowledge, great knowledge, and we were all working together towards one goal. So Mm -hmm. as part of that, I was able to kind of see their thought process when it came up to the pairings that they wanted to do, the way they approached games. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually learned so much about a number of different factions played at the highest level from the event. So uh, even for singles players, I definitely recommend looking into team events as a way of kind of developing yourself as a player. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, team events are going to be becoming more and more common in the UK scene. I know uh, UKTC has recently brought out the Birmingham event, which is a 100-team uh, event with 500 players, which will be the largest team event in the UK, I'd imagine, uh, to sure. date. And I think that's going to be a continuing trend because I think team events are probably undeniably the most popular format, and I think probably the most popular format uh, in Warhammer 40K, especially with the draw that they have, not necessarily the most amount of events, but the people that go to them really have an overwhelming positive affirmation for them as well. Mm-hmm. And I definitely saw that as well. I think the thing we don't realize is how much a team format kind of flattens out the balance of different Mm -hmm. factions. The -hmm. game overall feels more balanced because you're kind of playing towards certain terrain sets and certain faction strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. that you can't really account for very much in uh, singles events. Usually Mm -hmm. the terrain is completely set throughout the event and the pairings are very random. You don't know Mm -hmm. what you're going to end up playing. You can take a guess at the meta and kind of narrow it down a little bit, but there's still a big element of chance involved in it. 
Yep. Yeah, you can be a bit more of a specialist on your army versus one, two, three, four, five armies, can't you really? For sure. Uh, rather than having to go, okay, I want, I'm going to potentially face everything, and then you can play for the board as well. I know that um, when we played in the uh, team event as well, I was just doing the pairings, and and subsequently I've been involved with the New Zealand WTC team and uh, Team Iceland as well uh, on the online tournaments, and I've noticed that doing the pairings matrix is mm-hmm. quite. Uh, quite difficult and requires some rehearsal as well and obviously can have a very large impact on your overall performance and it does require a broad understanding of how many armies play into each other so you do sort of need that encyclopedic knowledge of you know this your expected outcome is into this for example um and yeah that's definitely a um, huge part of team tournaments isn't it and eight players is a lot different from five players right <laughs> yeah for sure and on uh, the matrixes so that's probably my second point i want to bring up is this um the matrix process and the pairings process so the matrix is essentially a spreadsheet where you have all of your players along along one axis so you have eight players and you mm-hmm. have all of your opponent's players so eight players down the other axis and you have to guess what your um your score will be roughly against whatever you play against in the opponent's mm-hmm. team it's an element of preparation involved in it and i found it quite interesting because it's not that you have to guess exactly what score you're going to get you don't have to guess i'm going to win by five points mm. you have to guess within a range of scores mm. so yep. the the middle score was kind of a, a 20 point gap you mm. the game is going to be within 20 points and that's almost within a level of a draw Mm. And then each 20-point segment above that is a bigger and bigger win or a bigger and bigger loss. So we <laughs> kind of had those uh, those five colors in there that we can mm-hmm. choose from. You know what is another interesting point in this, though, is that obviously in a team dynamic, you've got a range of player skill as well, right? And a range of what I would call player personalities that, from my perspective, have actually a, quite a significant impact on the pairing matrix as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we could all kind of collectively agree what a given outcome for a um, for an army versus an army for a, for a singles event match should be, right? So, you know, whether that be Tau versus Empress Children, for example, we can all kind of, five of us can sit together and say it should be roughly this. But when you also consider average expected performance then tied against your player pilot versus their pair player pilots, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And I think, because it's an uneven player skill within your team format, fundamentally, of course, it is. It's, un- it's always uneven. Um, that can kind of throw a whole other wrench into things as well, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think what I've learned with the way that Team England does this pairing system is that they, they don't account for player skill. Yeah. They, they mm-hmm. assume that player skill is going to be at the maximum level. Everyone's yep. going to be playing it perfectly. And then you play from there. Yeah, which is, um, I mean, it's a completely um, logical way to, to formulate it, isn't it, really? Yeah, because they're going to be playing at WTC against some of the best players in the world. So yep. you're unlikely to hit too many very, very large mistakes that your opponents yep. will make. So, yeah. And so did you Did you learn much about Empress Children? Because obviously, you know, we all know you've played Empress Children for a long time. You know, you popularized it uh, and then you've had great success with it. So game-wise, did you, were, you, were there any big takeaways or, or think, were you kind of just, you know, breezing through my third point is going to be about the difference in mentality required for singles and team Mm. events. And, you know, I played through the start of this tournament as a singles player. I was like, Mm. I'm going to just go and do my own little thing, just win my game. But Mm. actually that's not the way it works in teams In teams. You have to think about what your part is within the larger score of the team. Mm-hmm. what you put down in your pairings matrix and what you're actually going to achieve in the game. And actually getting the pairings matrix and your predicted score correct is the most important thing. And in my round four, um, I was playing as a very good player, Aaron, um, who was playing Creations of Bile. And in my matrix, I put down that this list, this match would be a draw, roughly a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I hadn't properly read Aaron's list. I just thought it was a normal MSU Creations of Bile list. Mm. When actually he had three units of 10 possessed and a unit of 10 terminators. Right. Realistically, that's too much for um, Emperor's Children to to handle that level of pressure Mm -hmm. and and have any kind of primary control at all. Um, The possessed are a great matchup into the noise marines. They they really go through them very quickly. Even five possessed will chunk their way through two uh, noise marines with their fight on death. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, so I went into that game having to score a black score 
on a game which I should really be losing. Mm. And I learned so much about trying to just hold on to points, even if mm -hmm. I was assuming I was going to lose the game. And um, so win, lose that game? Uh, well, I got I got really lucky because uh, <laughs> I got so lucky. Like um, I, I, I got a few tactical decisions which gave me a good chance to come out of that game with a draw. And mm. then I had a bit of luck on my side. He basically threw this ignore phase cap character, this demon prince, into mm. Abaddon. Mm -hmm. And it's a very it's a swing whether or not he actually kills Abaddon. Of course, because you can zero one damage and you have a four up in one anyway, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so it's tough. Yeah. It's it's, it's almost bang on average that he kills Abaddon, but he did yeah. zero damage. <laughs> <laughs> he did zero, yes. and then essentially the last bit of the game is Abaddon just sweeping the whole board. Yeah. Um. So that those kinds of swings can completely change things, but. Um, realistically, if we were to play the game many, many times, the score should be a slight loss to me. And I learned that you got to get that matrix right and read the list really carefully. Otherwise, you can get your team in trouble. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's an element that singles players can really learn from team events. And subsequently, I think there's a lot that team events can really learn from singles players. Yeah. Because I remember when we started playing team events, our philosophies were very different. And we lost a team and we lost the Team England by one victory point. Uh, this is when the, um, uh, the tournament, I think, last year. And we were completely unprepared, had terrible lists, had never done a team event before. But we actually had a lot of strong mentalities that I think really helped us in that five-man format team event. So hopefully maybe we can replicate that in, uh, is it Birmingham nowadays? Oh, yeah, that's it. The super major that I won is now being converted into a team event. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> I, I, I want to touch on that point you just made, though, because I think that is a huge point for anyone who's primarily a team events player. Um, singles players have this thing, especially really good singles players, where they won't give up until the last moment. It doesn't matter if they should be losing the game. Mm. They, the only thing they, they have to work out is how do I manage to win this like somehow? Mm. And sometimes I notice the team's players were like, yeah, this game, you know, I'm gonna, I should lose this one. Mm. And they're immediately like setting their mentality to that. It's yep. probably a very consistent and reliable way of doing it, but it's not, it's not positive. It's not pushing beyond what mm -hmm. is normal. It's difficult to maximize. It's in all honesty, it's difficult to play well with a defeatist attitude. Like if you go into a peering matrix with like, oh, this is a 15, this is a 515, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to lose by 25 points. It's difficult to go into a game like that with a mentality that you're going to play well. Just from my perspective, you know, going, oh, okay, I just need to keep it within 25. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, team events. Absolutely. But I think both of us, you know, will be having a more exposure to team events uh, in the future, especially next year. We will have not only team event Birmingham. Uh, there's another one before that as well for the UKTC, but potentially, uh, or you, you're definitely going to be involved in WTC, and potentially myself at WTC as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the uh, single single people's <laughs> singles oh, team no. can uh, can perform. We'll have to see how it goes. It'll be uh, definitely a change for us. But speaking of singles tournaments, uh, let's go on to Coventry, which we played like uh, two weeks ago, I think. Uh, yes, and, Coventry. Oh, Coventry. And and guys, if you if you listen to episode six, you know that both of both Vic and I went for, I think as Vic aptly described it, the non-sensible choice in, we terms the, in terms of the armies that we picked. Um, perhaps I'll just go through mine because I had a bit of a uh, <laughs> interesting road. So um, I made an error at uh, signing up to the tournament and I didn't put my faction, which is something that's happened before. And I took a 10 VP um, uh, penalty on my first round. So that wasn't a great start. And that's completely fair because the TOs need to have that information so they can do the list checking and stuff like that. So, you know, classic error and uh, a, a complete stupid um, fault on it on my behalf. But I, having said that, I don't like to set my faction early. I like to do it the last second so that people don't know maybe what I'm playing. But, you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> um, so I went and playing Demons. My list in hindsight was very, was not good. Um, I thought it was good, but I didn't realize that the Bloodthirst actually is not a good unit. It's it's just it's just quite all round bad, and I'll get to that in a second. So uh, round one, I actually played quite a good player, uh, Marcus Hinson, on uh, House Raven Knights with two big knights, uh, and I thought, ah, oh, you know, knights pretty straightforward. But actually, 
this list was actually very good against my demons. Uh, basically because he could do the auto six to wound um, calculated targeting that converts the um, big gun straight into mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. And actually, against things like bloodletters, that's really good because you can just deal eight mortal wounds to bloodletters, which is, you know, effective 100 points. And, you know, Bloodletter's primary defense against ranged attacks are obviously that they're multi, you know, one wound, 10-man squad, but they have a four-up and vulnerable as well. So um, that basically gets all around that. Um, Needless to say, I win the game by eight points and then actually take a 10 VP loss, which means I lose the game by two points. So that's not a great start to the tournament. It's actually the very first tournament I've ever not gone 3-0 day one so um apart from a team tournament um and it's first tournament i've ever been to where i've lost round one as well so you know disappointing start and then i get paired into um an orc player who is um someone who's been on our team for a while i i apologize because i forget uh, forget your name he plays golf or goffs orcs uh and he plays it really well and um i was like you know what? okay i've got a lot of flamers this will be a decent matchup but orcs is a very bad matchup for demons uh, primarily because they just have so much reasonable toughness um, uh, and multi-wound models that actually demons really struggle into that because actually demons are, demons are terrible at trading up. Flamers are about the only thing that trade up in demons. Mm-hmm. And orcs are so fast they can tag flamers. Um, you can teleport one out, sure. Um, but the rest of your army doesn't trade up uh, in the slightest. So needless to say, uh, I actually ended up losing the game. I think I lost that game about 20 points. And then I made the decision to drop because I thought, in my head, I thought, you know what? I'd rather go and play the two-day event that was happening. So this is on the Friday of the three-day event. I said, you know what, David? I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna take the next game off, um, drop, and then go into the two two-day tournament. And that way, I can spend, uh, you know, the Friday evening just watching games, hanging out with people, um, and then I can feel refreshed for the next day, and I can just go in and take it seriously on the two-day event. And um, you know, my mentality going into the um, day three event was pretty poor. I think from a competitive standpoint, I was taking things pretty loose. I was playing pretty loose. Like I wasn't playing um, well. And I think people who have perhaps played me in real life in a, in a tournament know that when I'm playing serious, I'm playing, you know, very serious. And, um, you know, I'm not chitty chatting. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concentrating and making sure that I'm uh, trying to play very methodical and planned. Um, and so I thought, I, I remember sending you the text uh, on the Friday night and I said, look, you know what? No more foolishness. I'm not going to be messing around. I'm going to go and crush the day two, uh, the two day event. And uh, and that's how we'll do. So before that happened, um, uh, the three day event, there were a ton of great games. There were a ton of great games all weekend on that tournament. But um, the, the, the Friday night had like some excellent games between uh, yourself uh, and then Mike Porter was playing a great game. Anthony Vanella was playing a great game. Oh, yeah. uh, Nassim was playing a great game. There were so many excellent games. So it was really it was really nice just to go, you know, I'm going to relax, uh, look at some great games, hang out with everyone, uh, and then just refocus for the two-day event. Yeah, it was an awesome event, actually. The the kind of people who were attending were like the, the kind of best of the world scene, not just the mm-hmm. UK scene. Uh, we were really lucky to have Anthony Vanella join us for this one. Definitely, yeah. Um, and he he put up an incredible showing through this event. And I think he, he left with such a positive experience of the way the UK tournament scene works. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're hitting a point now in the UK tournament scene where we're like, we're the premium kind of events in the world. It's, it's mm-hmm. been done so well by Zach and the team at the UKTC. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and the thing is, they're still taking on feedback. Um, and some of the, some of the maps have some, uh, deficiencies in them in terms of having a bit too much shooting fire lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Zach asks for feedback every single event and, yep. uh, and you can kind of feel confident that something will be done to improve things. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Zach is the type of person where if you say, Hey, can we talk about this? He'll, mm-hmm. he, he'll give you the fair shot and come down and listen to you. So if you actually feel like that's a great point you raised right there is if you feel something is imbalanced in the UKTC map, send a, send an email to Zach. Um, you know, personally, I think that actually is a hot take. Uh, the middle L medium ruins actually blocking the line of sight or removing the outer lip on those. I think that would be a great change. That's just me. I think they're too easy to shoot into with some armies. That's particularly looking at Tau. 
perhaps. Um, so that'd be an interesting change. And we haven't had a map change for quite a while, I think, and the meta has gotten more shooty, so that's something interesting to consider. So I'd have two hot takes on the UKTC okay. uh, tournament terrain. I actually wouldn't do the one you suggested. I really mm-hmm. like that those ones have windows and they open up that play for aggressive shooting armies to come that far forward Yep. Uh, because they have to trade with that particular thing, and shooting tends to be um, more inefficient uh, in terms mm-hmm. of trading. Um, what I would love to see is the little side ruins, um, the tiny ones that are not obscuring, even not being five inches tall. I would love if they gain the obscuring keyword so you have a little mm. bit of space just to tuck in behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is on any of the long ways maps, so the hammer and anvil missions. <laughs> um, at the moment, functionally, against any army that can move twelve more than 12 inches, there is nowhere to hide in your deployment zone except the very back corner. Mm. Um, which uh, creates some games which are completely one-sided depending on who goes first or second. Mm. Um, Coventry has that particularly because it's an eight-round event, so everyone plays through to round six, which is a hammer and anvil, and round eight, which is a hammer and anvil. Mm. Um, So, yeah, the UKTC terrain is designed very nicely for diagonal and corner corner missions and Mm -hmm. designed somewhat poorly for the Dawn of War missions and designed very poorly for the Hammer and Anvil missions. Yeah, I would I would say that the Dawn of War missions are designed well. I would like to see if we didn't adopt the change I just said, moving the medium out closer to your own deployment zone, so it's just a little just bit harder easy. to go in and touch and see into. Mm. That'd be fine, easy to stage into. Uh, and then for, I would I would agree that the the Hammer and Anvil missions are designed somewhat poorly, and I think that's just a reflection of the fact that we don't play those as much. Correct. So perhaps moving the well, they don't do that for tournament organizing reasons because playing long ways on sta- on side by side tables is difficult, but. Um, yeah, um, so back to commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went in the two-day event, and uh, yeah, went 5-0. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, yeah, I won the Demon's Mirror twice. I uh, had a great game against uh, uh, Byron Saidu, who um, is, a, is a really lovely guy. He's been playing Demons for a while, um, and I had never played the Demon Mirror before. Well, actually, I played it the round before playing him, and I won that one, I think, like 96-45, and then I played Byron and won that one, I think, again... Uh, like 90, 90, 50 or something like that. Uh, but we had two fantastic, um, two fantastic games. And then uh, finally, I bet, uh, I bet uh, Byron's father, uh, Sid, in the final round playing uh, 13, 14 armages or something like that, um, which was uh, another, um, I think I won that one like 96, 50 or something like that. But you know what I would say is that despite having, despite not doing as well as I had hoped, of course, of course, of course. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing the games. I had a lot of fun playing demons. They were just, you know, they were, there was, it was nice playing something different. Uh, it was nice playing something. Um, yeah. That had maybe a bit more dynamism perhaps to it. Um, technically a little bit more nuanced, perhaps you could argue. And uh, yeah, just a different flavor overall. And it was a nice break from uh, having the expectation to win everything. Uh, for me personally, I think I was going into it pretty, you know, uh, this is a fun tournament. I'm going to play, I'm just going to have fun, going to make sure, you know, I'm going to try and play well, but uh, I'm not expecting to do, to, to do overly well. Um, so yeah, it was a nice break. Yep. Well, I guess it's my turn, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what, how was your day one? So uh, actually, you know what, I, honestly, I did have a good event. Um, the, I've come out of it feeling a little bit frustrated um, and mm-hmm. I, I took a list. So I took my Elder Swift Strikes list that requires a huge amount of both player skill and uh, like physical energy to actually right. play the army and move everything backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards, plan out yep. the mil- loads of options that you have. And there's a lot of admin, right? Playing there's a the lot army. of admin. So yeah. I went into the tournament knowing there are some bad matchups here. There are a lot of two plus armor saves are going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, flyers are going to be tough as well. Uh, and I made some uh, list decisions to try and help counter those things. What I didn't account for was my own fatigue. And I mm-hmm. went into the first round and I hit custodies with all two up armor saves. So it was all, <laughs> all vehicle custodies. So. Um, that was an unbelievable grind, and uh, I, I won that game by two points. Yeah. Um, and I was playing right down to the last minute. 
The round afterwards, I ended up going into nine Paragon War suits, which also have two plus armor saves across the across everything, <laughs> and played to the last minute, and I was absolutely exhausted by this point. Yeah, that's six hours of full Warhammer. Yep, so, so yeah. I won that game. And then after that, I get the joy of having to play, well, a joy, like a genuine joy, but also I'm like, please give me an easy game now, mm. uh, of playing Innis. Oh yeah, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard about Innis. Innis is like a world class. And I was, player. I was watching this game right next to you, of course, because I was uh, off on round three. Yeah, yeah, and this is a tough one because Innis is playing his GSC list. He's got a good number of reps into it, um, and it's very hard to understand exactly what GSC do. You're kind of at mm. their mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, because you kind of half understand what the threat ranges are, but you don't really know it until it's like actually like done to you. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was playing against Innis, and I have a good list for this matchup. Like I can, the output of the Swift Strike the Eldar list is very high into That's an huge. army like Innis's. And um, what I would I would say before you go on, I would preface mm-hmm. this uh, because this event was really good. There were so many chill people there and everyone genuinely knew each other. So mm-hmm. we were chatting, uh, you know, I was at the table chatting like, oh, you know, Ernest, do you think this is a good matchup and what like that? And Camp Gene Steel Cult were saying, this is an auto win matchup yeah. for them, right? In, in and, WTC. And I, mm. In WTC, right? Yeah. And then I was looking at you and we were both thinking, I'm pretty sure 30 Swimming Hawks or 26 with you know, AP zero shots has got to be good against this run, surely, right? So it was, that was kind of the context going into it all, right? We were sort of a little bit, we were sitting on two different sides of the fence. Yeah, we we were a little bit confused. And um, Hmm. I think like we played the game out and, uh, you know, the Swooping Hawks did prevail in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I think the kind of Polish WTC guys were there and they were still saying that, you know, oh, this is a guaranteed win for GSC. So Mm -hmm. there's a level of understanding about that particular matchup that's definitely gone over our heads. Mm. Um, but even Innes was saying there's definitely a path to victory there. I think it did uh, give me an advantage that I went second in this game. So, but mm, I also really? I did, yeah, I go, I went second and I, and I kind of in my head thought, mm. okay, that immediately means he's in my face with everything. Um, is that not what the list is aiming for? I'm not entirely sure. I would sure. disagree. I would say going first is very good for you personally, but, uh, yeah, I, I would have thought if I went first, I get a whole extra turn of shooting or something like exactly, that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I guess because he's in blips, I won't exactly know where he's going to deploy and he can make it very mm. awkward for me. So maybe I waste an entire turn if I go first. No, because a uh, very big footprint on the army. Huge. Right? Covers up the whole deployment zone. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a level of understanding about that matchup that mm. uh, that we are yet to gain. But, yeah, I had a great game against Innes and he's he's so nice. He's really, really mm-hmm. nice to play against and... He, he plays very, very fast. So yep. uh, he definitely was keeping me under pressure with the clock. And... That's definitely something I think we could both learn from uh, Ennis and the way he practices as well. I know they practice on clocks very, very often where we do not, we probably take the almost exact opposite approach to that. You and I, when we play, right, we play very loose, taking a lot of time. Even between our turns, we're talking out everything and theorizing and what like that. And that's just what works well for us, right? But I think Innes definitely has that advantage of playing fast as well, especially, and he's got an army which has a lot of administration, mm-hmm. a lot of rolling, a lot of movement uh, as well, right? So um, good on him for playing the, um, you know, an army like that. It can't be easy, that's for sure. Yeah, so I'm on 3-0 at the end of day one, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I've managed to somehow scrape this through. I'm not sure how, but I have. And uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I'm paired up uh, the next day against Mike Porter. So I've got mm. another world-class player. So it's, uh, yep. uh, I was kind of excited about this, you know. Um, uh, what I hadn't taken into account is done any prep to realize that we were playing on Tide of Conviction. Mm. Uh, and Tide of Conviction has notoriously been a problem for me. All the, always yeah. been a problem. Yeah, this is where you and I played at Birmingham, actually, and on Tide of Conviction. Because there's something about Tide of Conviction playing on a Dawn of War mission, so sh- uh, long table edges, like close to each other, um, and having a whole two with six objectives on this particular kind of layer. Mm. I love this map, by the way. I think it's just so interesting and dynamic, and yeah, yeah I'm glad it's in the map. Um, and like this mission is bad straight away it's bad for me like doing a whole mm-hmm. two against harlequins is going to really struggle with that um uh, and i when we deployed and mike deployed his army he had stacked one corner uh the big l and mm-hmm. he put like three boats which were just hanging out loose across the other side of his deployment mm-hmm. and he 
didn't have enough command points to phantasm so he can't redeploy anything yep that's a key part about mike's mike's list is that he chose not to go for the redeploy and i've got 26 swooping hawk my whole army directly opposite this these three star weavers that is 75 mm. percent of his deployment zone <laughs> and i'm just there like if i go first here i just remove those three star weavers get behind kill everything inside the boats and It'll take Mike the entire game to dig me out of that flank, mm-hmm. um, and he'll never catch up on primary. He'll like his entire game plan will fall apart from that. Yep. And I was like, in my head, I knew I'm never going to do this. This is not going to work out. And Mike rolled a uh, no. I Mike rolled a two, and I was like, mm, oh, perfect. Wow. I've got this. <laughs> and obviously, I rolled a one, and he goes wow. first. Yeah. Even at this point, I've still got that little bit of hope. I, I like mm. phantasm everything out in, and just keep dump everything into one corner. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I, if I have enough output, I can grind this out. Mm-hmm. And um, then Mike just like, uh, like I need a bit to go my way. And things yeah. just didn't go my way. The damage output just fell like so far short of what it needed. And I was just getting mm. ground out of this game. Yeah. And I felt the frustration there because I was like, how big like that first turn swing is i remember yep. that used to be such a big thing but why is yeah. it why is it here again is it yep. in in fairness i have to take some responsibilities the nature of my list does have a first turn swing in it mm-hmm. and i felt that again in game six where i played the mirror against mm-hmm. colin yep. and colin so yeah. lost to mike porter yes. so you got three and one and then you win your next game yeah, right against... i won my last that fifth game into yanari Okay. Yeah. Uh, which and then yeah, that wasn't Ben Jones, was it? No, that was uh, Richard Sims. Okay, Richard. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Richard Sims. And then you're playing the mirror match on Hammer and Anvil, so far away as possible from each other. And this is where I think a lot of your critique for the Hammer and Anvil deployment comes in, right? Um, so, so run us through. You're playing the mirror matchup, which yeah, you know. So some uh, background on this. I've played this particular mission. So this is the sixth mission in uh, UKTC. I played it three times as an Eldar mirror match against Colin. Uh, Mm. Before that, I played against Manny in the mirror match. And before that, I played against Conrad in the mirror match. Mm -hmm. And every single time, it's been the player who's gone first that has got a big win off of this. Mm. Because the opposing player can move beyond 12 inches, which means you can see entirely into the entirety of the opponent's deployment zone. Mm -hmm. Um, So that means Colin got first turn here. And the amount of pressure was absolutely huge. Um, mm. uh, I have to give credit to Colin. Like I, I feel like I outplayed him at the start of the game, but he outplayed me in the middle of the game. Mm. Uh, so, the, like player skill wise, he matched me blow for blow. Uh, nice. With the advantage, well, respect to Colin. Yeah, Colin, he smashed it. Um, like played really, really precisely and and meticulously. Um, mm. Like at the start, he things didn't quite go how he had kind of planned it, I think, but mm-hmm. he managed to keep up the pressure through the, the mid game and uh, didn't give me a chance to kind of dig myself out. Mm. Um, and, you know, with the massive advantage he gets from going first, you just get so much pressure and killing potential going first in that map. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, I had zero way. I think that was a huge loss. That was an 89 to 38 for me loss. So mm. zero digging myself out of that one. I think I was pretty much tabled by the end of it as well. Yeah. So um, after that, so it's end of day, end of day two, your thing, what's your current, what's your headspace like uh, at the end of day two? Uh, I'm there. It's, uh, I'm exhausted. Um, mm. And just thinking, do I really want to put myself through one more day of this um, yeah. at this point? Yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, I kind of regret dropping at this point. So I dropped mm-hmm. on day three. Uh, so I just played mm-hmm. the six rounds rather than the eight. Um, in a way, I regret because actually the field was so strong. I probably would have got two really interesting games out of those yep. last two, even having lost two two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I had a really lovely Sunday just chilling out and decompressing and yeah. kind of just gathering myself, forgetting about 40K for a second uh, yeah. in a way. so And it can be really important, I think to understand when it's time to prioritize things like that, right? Like there's going to be a lot of time to play 40K. You know, there's always going to be events more like that, but there's not always going to be time where you can, you know, just fully relax from a from a, a tough event, you know, and decompress where you're not going straight back into work. You're not going to deal with uh, stuff, you know, on the Monday, for example. You know, you can just hang out with your better half and take it easy, right? 
That's it, man. Yeah, so I had a really chilled Sunday after that. I was just keeping an eye on seeing how uh, how kind of everyone was getting on at the mm. end. And it looked like there were some really interesting games. Mike versus Anthony yep. Vanilla. And then yeah. um, and Nas versus Mike. Uh... Yeah. So here's what I would say, because I, I got to watch a lot of those games um, and the end of them. Um, and the Anthony Vanilla versus Mike Porter game, uh, Anthony Vanilla could have, it was a very close game, and Anthony could have won actually. So I think it, that kind of, to me, speaks about the state of the game that it's in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been playing a lot of chess recently, and um, something I noticed about chess is that you're not, well, at the, at the levels that I played at, which is not particularly high, um, but is that you can always, um, there's always things that you can do well at the at the later part, of, later part of the game that can actually win you the game. And I think that's a big part of the game state right now. There's still room to make error right at the end of the game, and um, and there's always ways to play very well and make a huge difference even on turn four and five. And and a lot of those games are reminiscent of that. Apart from the tail flyer games where you kind of just get blown off the board, <laughs> which is you know not great. Hmm, that's good. So uh, we're going to jump now into part two, and uh, we'll catch you just after the uh, great jazz music here in a second. <laughs> See you guys in. back guys so we're going to be discussing now about how to keep yourself motivated when you're a little bit demotivated um so dave just wanted to ask you kind of is there is there anything is there one thing that really stands out to you a way to to kind of get over being demotivated or a thing that makes you demotivated Mm, yeah i think one of the things that's been very um poignant recently is that uh, I kind of feel like I've lost my identity as a as a 40k player in terms of my direction uh, recently and that's a combination of um, my competitiveness versus my changing relationship with 40k and my initial goals and changing relationship with 40k I think I'm taking things a little bit less seriously which has been very good for me um, and then also you know I've kind of lost my army identity right mm-hmm. I played Leviathan Lids and I played Crusher before that, and that's just what I played, right? I just, <laughs> I just, I just destroyed everyone with the with Duras. Um, and and you know, since the nerf, um, there was actually a very available army to play, Kraken, which I still think is probably you could you could argue is a top three army in the game right now. Um, but I just thought, look, David, maybe this is going to be an opportunity to explore different armies, and I just didn't have that motivation to pick up Kraken because it was going to be the same. Like, I'm sure I could pick it up and play it at Coventry and do very well. Um, Cause the, this is very strong. It would have been very good into the field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had great lists from people that were practicing with it and people that I talk with regularly uh, and regularly still. Um, but for me, it was kind of like, I didn't, I didn't really want to play it. And then I was kind of demotivated because I didn't have an army where I was extremely well practiced an army that I would knew I would do very well with and, and something that I was, you know, really glued with me. Right. So that's, that for me already set the expectations of the tournament, um, not going into win it, which is rare. I know for both of us. Um, and it, and it also felt like I didn't have the pressure on me to, to, to never lose. If you know what I mean? Like, people like oh you know um xyz lost you know and 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 it's 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 great to be in the position of a player of when people are surprised that you lose but at the same time it's always like man i lost like people you know people are going to say oh david lost you know all that stuff right or or Vic lost you know yeah it's it's interesting you know i would say a big positive of this say the tyranny enough and Mm -hmm. you potentially losing the identity of your army that you were so experienced with is hmm. that over these like last two months or so, I've seen you become much more of a well-rounded competitive player, exploring hmm. and understanding multiple different armies and their rules, building lists for them. And I think in the long run, having moments like this where you know things don't necessarily go your way, those are the moments when you actually kind of develop the most. Mm. Um, and that's like, I've had multiple moments where I've lost my army identity and I've been a bit demotivated and maybe Mm -hmm. I'm like losing a lot more games than normal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you always do come out the other side, kind of a little bit excited when something clicks, 
Mm, yeah. Army yeah. kicks when you finally like sat down mm. and pondered enough and been like, yeah. there you go. That's the idea. That's the one that works. And mm. it happened to me with the Empress Children. It just clicked. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I had zero idea what I was doing before the Empress Children idea clicked in. Yep. Um, and then how exciting was that? I managed to take that to like four or five tournaments now. And, uh, yeah, and crush it. Obviously, yeah, LGT, but just drawing it as well, right? Yeah, and it's, it's been yeah. really enjoyable and really fun. So so I think that's the kind of two sides, two sides of the same coin, right? It's demotivating when you lose your army identity. And it's very motivating when you have a strong army identity, right? Something that you like is performing well. Uh, and you sort of are attached to that and um, you're still enjoying it. For sure, man. Yeah. So I think obviously if you're if you're struggling in that same problem, I think that's a great um, a great way is trying to maybe explore other armies, think about different ways of doing things, um, and just you know having fun in different ways of the of the game. And you know I had a lot of fun uh, painting actually, painting and hobbying, which is <laughs> like if you told me that six months ago, or if someone told you that about me six months ago, they would have probably you probably would have laughed because that's definitely not what I'm well known for. Um, so yeah, I mean that just goes to show how much of a mindset change I had. And I think doing the podcast has been something that's had a big influence on that for me as well. But um, yeah, what about you? Demotivating? What's kind of the What's the uh, what's the where the so, frustrations come from? I think what some of the worst periods of competitive forty k I've had is when I have chased the meta bandwagon too hard, mm. uh, and this is quite an interesting one because um, what happens is sometimes is I see a list right, and perhaps this list has nine Eldar flyers in it, <laughs> and then I think that oh you know what that's really strong you know conceptually that's going to do really well let's get that and play it and i absolutely hate it. <laughs> it it's it's got nothing to do with the way that i play and enjoy 40k mm. and it's moments like that where i give up on my identity and i just try and just like play the most powerful thing mm -hmm. where i end up kind of losing my motivation and just not enjoying every game i play of 40k and yep. then I come back and I play a game, uh, play an army like Hail of Doom, which is both strong and also the way I like to play 40k, mm -hmm. uh, or Empress Children, which is again both of those things. And um, so I've got a question actually. Yeah. Did you, you know, when you came back? So, guys that don't know, uh, Vic took a break from 40k when I was um, probably doing when I was coming up, mm -hmm. you were playing Age of Sigma. Did you come back to 40k when Eldar came back into the picture, or was it Tau? I forget. It was before Eldar. All right. So it, so it was, you know, Ad I think Tau was wrong, was it? You played at yeah. Bournemouth? Admech, Orcs, and then Custodes and Tau came out as yeah. Orcs and Admech got nerfed. Yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, I came slowly back into it um, with Tau. Yeah, and that's because you there was an army that you identified with. You had you enjoyed the aesthetic of the playstyle of yeah, it. Yeah, towers. Towers super cool to me. I've always found them really, really cool. Um, mm -hmm. How they kind of look. Um, so yeah, it was kind of I I'd done a little bit of Age of Sigma. I played a few events and things, and I thought let's let's find a moment. The second the indirect fire started dropping off on armies that I don't like. Um, I, I came into an army that I do like that had indirect fire, but I didn't yeah. run any indirect fire. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, that's interesting. So I think um, what what would be my mind state at the moment uh, going to Leicester coming up? I have um, kind of I think so. I think this is true for both of us, right? We've been looking at other armies. We've been mm -hmm. trying to reassess the meta, what we think is strong. Um, uh, with the intentions of swapping armies, potentially. Uh, and um, that's been a really cool experience. I've been on kind of one army that I've been playing uh, a reasonable amount that, that I really enjoyed the look of to begin with because I kind of enjoy, uh, with my background in Magic the Gathering, uh, I really enjoy kind of puzzle box armies like that. <laughs> Had a little bit of a hint there. Um, so that's been, that's been a really rewarding experience for me, learning another army because I have a limited knowledge when it comes to understanding of other armies and that's something I've been trying to work on. Um, but um, that's been something that's been positive for me in, in Warhammer. It's been, I, liked, I do like the process of playing many many games and refining and continuously improving the the very last little fine points <laughs> of a list i kind of i'm a player that likes to play a lot of games talk to a lot of people um, get different opinions and weigh things up and then ultimately come to my kind of version on things and so i've been really enjoying that uh, that process of taking something that 
perhaps has previously done well and then um, seeing how I can improve it and uh, do better with it. And so that's been uh, that's been a motivator for me. That's been uh, it's been nice to go through that process again because you know turners I was just you know I knew it through and through. It was you know it was like going to work uh, playing a tournament. Um, so yes, that's been a that's been a big exciting part of playing Warhammer again for me for sure no that's really good man I'm glad you're enjoying it and uh, you know I think an exciting thing is when you've got your army that you've kind of uh, kind of painted up and you're mm-hmm. proud of it and everything and then you actually take it to that first event once you mm-hmm, yeah. you kind of practice it and understood because you spend so much time thinking right thinking about mm-hmm. how this interaction works what the average output of this particular interaction is mm-hmm. and you try and piece that together and to actually put it on the table in a tournament is the most exciting thing um, <laughs> yeah rolling those dice yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. so yeah. What about yourself? What kind of what state are you in uh, at the moment? Uh, so my problem is I've got too many options here. Um, <laughs> must be tough. Must I, be hard. I have too many <laughs> options, and I don't know which one to go for. Um, also, there's a, there's a little bit of a element of I've moved house, and most of mm-hmm. my Warhammer stuff is with my parents, and it's a bit awkward to try and like go back, grab a few bits and pieces, and then suddenly the next day change the idea of what army I'm actually planning on <laughs> running. So. Uh, at the moment, I'm a little bit in limbo. Um, I've mm-hmm. always got the backup option of just running the Emperor's Children, which requires zero hobby, and I have everything mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. Um, and I really actually enjoy using the Emperor's Children again at the team tournament. Uh, yeah, I was wondering about that, you know, because I know I just did um, me playing Turnus was a bit like just kind of going to work. Uh, I was like, okay, I got a job to do, you know, clinically playing, but you, you're still having a good time playing uh, old EC. You're still having fun, you know, learning. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still finding that. Uh, quite a lot of the games i'm kind of still doing something different it's like mm, there's yeah. a, there's a different game plan here that works best mm-hmm. for this game and it's it's quite interesting it's not just the same thing over and over again which uh, just goes to show you how deep of a game warhammer is right mm-hmm. like i must have played easily 150 games mm-hmm. of turnips mm-hmm. and i was still finding little things here and there and be like oh, okay you know do this one position you know deployment and positioning is something that I don't ever think you can 100% get right as well, which is sure. why the game is so great, right? For sure. So, yeah, so, I'm just trying to work it out. It's uh, I think it's unlikely I'll do the Eldar again at the moment. As, but uh, we we talked previously about, okay, I think in the last episode we said there's a sensible option, mm-hmm. and then there's the, there's the heart option. I, I, went full, I went full tango and played demons. Yep. And, <laughs> and I think this time for me, I'm going to make the sensible choice. What, what do you, are you leaning more sensible? Are you leaning more... Uh, experiment <laughs> i think it still needs both it needs sensible and hot um mm-hmm. so i'm going to give an example here right this is this is a dark dangerous example that i'm going to give which ties <laughs> in with my thing about stuff that demotivates me mm-hmm. and against my own advice on the weekend uh after the team event uh i was there and i it's the team event is in element games element games is a massive shock and I mm-hmm. wandered around the store and I was looking at all the stuff that was there. There was <laughs> so much Leagues of Votan stuff there. <laughs> and in teams, Leagues of Votan are absolutely incredible. They're just really? insanely good in teams because nice. uh, the way it works is that often the first army you put forward can pick a map and Leagues of Votan on a very open board are devastating. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the Leagues of Votan players were absolutely killing it through this weekend. And that was kind mm. of siphoning through to me. Mm. Uh, and I saw it there and I was just like, you know, there's so there's a few boxes here. Like maybe if I like hold them in my hand, how many can I carry at one time? And Leagues of Votan doesn't need many boxes to actually make yeah. an army. So um yeah. yeah, so I bought some Leagues of Votan stuff and actually I haven't I, I built one Hecaton Land Fortress, <laughs> right? And I have kept everything else in its box. Yeah. And then like we did a couple of test games and things, and it's just yeah. It's just not me, really. Uh, it's not. I'm really surprised you even bought it to be honest, because that's not that army's not even me. And I played, I played Admic <laughs> for like 200 games, and that army is so boring. Even Votan is so boring to me. So I was so surprised you. God, I hate when yeah. I do stuff like that. It's awful. <laughs> but you all Warhammer players know about this. This happens. But having said that, you this ties in so well to what you said in the beginning, which is uh, on the meta bandwagon, right? And you sort of saw the performance. It was right. There, the the 
the performance evaluation metrics were in black and white right in front of your face, right? And you saw that little, perhaps a little <laughs> golden ticket, a little nugget. You were like, how can I, these players are pretty good, but, you know, if I really put time and effort into it, I bet I could improve their list. So I'm going to buy the Votan oh and see what's going on. Really but we had two nice. games today, and the games where perhaps um, you thought you were going to win as well was the second game. I still managed to, <laughs> managed to win this. Oh, yeah, and it just, it just felt so, like, it's one of those armies where everything just kind of just happens. Yeah. You don't really have too much control. Your stuff only moves so far. And you have very little player agency exactly. in the army. You're, yeah. you're here and you're planning one turn ahead and you're moving yep. to that spot you planned. If you get move yep. blocked or if you get tagged, you just stand there and shoot. It's, a, yeah. it, it's, it's like you have no control over everything. You're just kind of letting yep. your opponent try and work out a way of dealing with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, a true stat check, a true kind of uh, sh- shooting gunline army, and um, yeah, that is utterly boring. <laughs> <laughs> it is utterly boring. I'm not convinced that Votan are are exceptionally good on UKTC as well. That's just my personal opinion. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. I think they've got some strong points to them, but ultimately, I think that uh, lack of agency or dynamism is a fundamental weakness. And uh, I notice that in many games, the Hecaton Land Fortress is very easy to. Um, very easy to block line of sight from, you know. Yep. Like in the games that we play, I said, well, okay, I'm not going to let you activate all three of your land fortresses. I might let you activate one, but I can shoot other parts of your army and then have one fortress shoot me, and that's absolutely fine. And then I can come back around and then um, deal with the other two later on, right? So, yep, absolutely. Difficult. Yep. And uh, the Berserks moving, I mean, Berserks are incredible. They're a great unit. Yeah. But how easy is it to map out their threat range? There's... Yeah, just just eight from the Land Fortress yeah, and then eight charge. Eight from the Land yeah. Fortress and then see see what they can do from there. It's... Yeah. Having said that, guys, Vic still managed to get into two of my characters. <laughs> oh, yeah, not enough. When your opponent helps you like that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the game I came back and won, actually. Probably. But it doesn't feel like that army has a lot on the board, especially if you play three Land Fortress. Mm-hmm. but yeah so it's it's tough so you know maybe we're thinking uh back to the tried and true sounds like you enjoyed emperor's children sounds like you had a good time with it so you know yeah there's a good chance for sure i yeah. mean i've got a little bit more time i'll just think across this week uh yeah see where i am with everything yeah nice and uh let us know what you're thinking about playing for coming up lister and uh if you've had a kind of experiences with bad tournament demotivation or you know perhaps what demotivates you chances are it probably happens to officers as well so maybe if you've got any uh tips and tricks just let us know in the comments down below yeah. if you've uh, enjoyed the fireside episode we thank you for listening sorry it's been a couple of weeks since uh, our last episode but i hope you've had a great time here and uh, we'll catch you guys next time yeah take care guys thanks for listening thank you for listening to the 40k fireside podcast Vic and I hope you've enjoyed listening, and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show. 